0: Hello, and welcome back to Once Upon a Blue Moon, brought to you by Shaping Foundations, a student led nonprofit dedicated to raising awareness and fundraising for rare diseases. My name is Pooja Shah, and I am the co founder and co president here at Shaping Foundations, and I'm your host for today. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. This podcast talks about everything related to rare diseases, from impacts by the healthcare industry on people with rare diseases to real stories of patients. Stick to the end to get more information about us, but until then, let's get into today's topic. Today, we're going to look at another rare story, that of Mackenzie Lee, who has trigeminal neuralgia. This episode is going to talk about what the disease is and how it's affected Mackenzie's life specifically. So in order to find out a little bit more about the disease, we're just going to go into the basic parts of the disease, how it impacts the body. So when you look at a disease name, it's really indicative to how the disease works and what does it do to the body. So trigeminal neuralgia, We can look at the second word first. And you can split up neuralgia into neuro, which is the first part, meaning nerve, and algia, which refers to pain. So that part means nerve pain, and trigeminal refers to the trigeminal nerve on the face, which is responsible for conveying the sensations from the facial skin to the brain. So this disease is pain of the trigeminal nerve of the face. Um, this disease... Although it can be associated with other diseases, such as multiple sclerosis, it's often idiopathic, meaning there's no specific reason as to why it occurs in a person. It's not necessarily genetic. It occurs, however, when there is damage to the myelin sheath of the nerve, which, metaphorically speaking, is similar to the insulation around the electrical wire of a nerve. The damage usually occurs because a blood vessel is compressing the nerve, meaning that that compression is damaging the myelin sheath, but it can also happen because of trauma or a tumor. It's not really clear why it happens, and it could be a combination of those reasons. So the pain is either severe or a more constant burning and throbbing, and sometimes it can even be both at the same time. The triggers of the pain can either be... It can really be anything, from eating and brushing to even a change in the weather or a stress going on in your life. The disease is considered progressive, meaning that it gets worse as time goes on, and the times where there is no pain get less and less as your life continues. It's also often mistaken for toothaches, which means that a lot of times people get teeth removed because they think it's like a root canal or something causing the facial pain, but in reality it's nerve pain. So. Not only do they have this nerve pain, they also have less teeth than normal. As for treatment options, there isn't a cure yet because of the lack of research and knowledge, but there are a variety of treatment options. Anticonvulsants, which are medications that help normalize the messaging in a nerve, which means that the nerve won't signal pain to the brain, can be prescribed but a lot of them have super severe side effects that people can't deal with it's just as bad as the pain itself there are some surgical options uh the most effective is microvascular decompression which is basically they separate the vessel that's causing the nerve damage from the nerve so that they're separated and that myelin sheath doesn't get any more damage but the thing is surgery is often invasive especially for this disease and The more invasive a surgery is, the less likely that it will be an option for you, and it can also have a lot of side effects. The more invasive a surgery is, the higher chance of side effects after the surgery and infections. Now we're going to talk about Mackenzie's story. We asked Mackenzie a series of questions, and she responded so descriptively that we thought you should hear her answers directly. The first question we asked Mackenzie was, how has this disease impacted you and your family's lives? She started with the impact on her, saying that, Trigeminal neuralgia affects everything I do. The most basic tasks such as eating, speaking, or brushing my teeth can cause immense pain. After so many years of doing things one way, it's hard to teach yourself to do rudimentary tasks differently. Trigeminal neuralgia has prevented me from completing school and working. As someone who always has big dreams and aspirations, this affected my mental health greatly. Every single one of my relationships changed or ended, and some family members stopped making the effort. Lifetime friends simply walked away. As for my amazing friends and family that did stay, they obviously had to adopt somewhat of a caretaking role. I was able to move out, but I live very close to my parents in case of emergencies. They always have to be on standby. And there's always some level of fear that they'll have to drop everything and come running. We're lucky that their jobs are so flexible. She then talked about the financial impact such a uh, a disease can have on one's life. She said, financially, chronic illnesses can be devastating. My neurologist and surgeon are two hours away, so extra money for gas, food, and hotel accommodations are always in the back of your mind. There were times when my insurance didn't cover medications, and my parents were paying almost $1,000 a month out of pocket. My partner, with whom I live, had to learn about my medications and care. There are days when not only does he have to care for me, but all of the household responsibilities fall on him. He constantly has to live with the fear that a simple kiss on the lips will hurt me. When it comes to family events, getting away, or simply hanging out with friends, they always had to factor in my illness. I have to have enough time to rest before and after. I can't be outside in the wind, it can't be too loud, there can't be too many people. I have to have my meds at a certain time, etc. So in general, my illness affects just about everything and everyone. This answer was really able to show how all-encompassing a disease is, especially one that's chronic. Um because of the specificities of the disease and how it impacts your ability to socialize it can really take a toll on your relationships and it can make things extremely difficult to handle that financial aspect is also a very interesting point Um, in the united states for one it's very difficult to have coverage for uh, medication and procedures and stuff And even if you do have insurance anywhere in the world, it can still get really costly to cover all the costs of medication, hospital stays, even little costs that you don't think about. They can really add up and it can be super difficult to manage them. The next question we asked Mackenzie was about her journey to getting diagnosed and some of the challenges that she and her family faced. Just for context, Mackenzie is from Canada, so she mentions some Canadian cities and hospitals. Uh, Mackenzie told us, My pain started in July of 2013. My family doctor was away at the time, so I kept having to see these random doctors. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of communication between these doctors. They tried migraine medication, allergy medication, steroids, antibiotics, and even opioids, but none of them worked. When my doctor came back, he ordered a head ct and put me on my first anticonvulsant. That was the medication we mentioned before that tries to regulate nerve pain. She continued, When the CT came back clear, I was referred to get an MRI, which also came back clear. By this point, my family doctor knew that I needed to see a specialist, but unfortunately, there are no pediatric neurologists where I live. He told my mom that if I were his kid, he would drive me to the emergency room two hours away in the big city, Calgary, next time I had a flare, and to see a neurologist there. So that's what they did. I ended up being referred to a neurologist in Calgary who decided to admit me for further testing. I had another MRI test done, a lumbar puncture, and a medication infusion to rule out a certain illness. Just to clarify, a lumbar puncture is when a doctor takes a large needle, and basically they take that needle and insert it into your uh, spinal canal it's also The procedure is also known as a spinal tap, and it's meant to collect cerebrospinal fluid for diagnostic testing. So it can uh, detect any abnormalities in the fluid, and then it can potentially diagnose a disease. And sometimes medications are infused to see if the medication um, relieves the patient, and that can be indicative of a certain disease causing the problem. Okay, further on with her answer. She said that everything came back negative and although we'd ruled out a couple things, we were no closer to finding what I actually had. I was having adverse slash allergic reactions to almost all the medications. I felt hopeless and a bit insane. It didn't help that there was the odd doctor or nurse that implied my pain was in my head or thought that I was drug seeking. That's when I was referred to complex pain clinic at the Alberta Children's Hospital. I met with them in April of 2014 and in less than 10 minutes they had a diagnosis. trigeminal neuralgia. The anesthesiologist that led the team wanted to perform one last test to be sure. He did a lidocaine infusion for the, and for the first time in nine months, I didn't have any pain. For context, lidocaine is a pain reliever that is often used um, on the skin or it can be injected into the body too. But the story that Mackenzie told us indicates how difficult it is to get a diagnosis with rare diseases, especially when people that have the most education in the medical field don't really know about them, which is why awareness is so important. The third question we asked Mackenzie was, what do you think are the biggest challenges faced by you and your family? She responded, some of the biggest challenges for us would definitely be the hospital admissions. Um, and surgeries. My first neurosurgery didn't really go well. We were hopeful at first because they had found the problem and did their best to fix it, but I ended up with a pretty bad CSF leak. A CSF leak stands for a cerebrospinal fluid leak, which is when the cerebrospinal fluid, which is the fluid that surrounds your brain and your spinal cord and helps it function properly, it leaks from the dura sac that surrounds the brain and the um, spinal cord. And it can cause several complications, ranging from headaches um, to more serious complications like extreme pain. And it can even cause your brain to dysfunction and you're not able to move necessarily as well as before. She continued I was in the ICU for a week, completely unable to move. My family members stayed in shifts to help feed and bathe me. The worst part was the pain came back three months later. After the return of the pain, my mental health plummeted and I became suicidal. I'd convinced myself that I was a burden and my death would ultimately make my family's lives easier and better. I was admitted to the hospital for two weeks on the psychiatric floor. She talks about this more in the next question. After my psych stay, I was put in a six-week pain rehabilitation program. We had to uproot to Calgary, which was physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially difficult. Not being able to see friends and family and being stuck comforting your pain for six straight weeks was incredibly difficult. My pain progressed pretty quickly over the next four years, and we tried everything with only limited successes here and there. Accepting that I could no longer work or go to school was a challenge. Accepting that I would have this disease for the rest of my life and that I needed to go on a permanent disability was a challenge. Accepting that the only medications that help or that I'm not allergic to have bad side effects was a challenge. Accepting that I needed a port for weekly infusions was a challenge. Then came serotonin syndrome, the sickest I've ever felt and been. For more information, serotonin syndrome is when a high level of serotonin accumulates in the body, and it's usually because of the medications that someone takes for another disease. And high levels of serotonin affect how your uh, nerves communicate with each other, which can cause mild effects from shivering and diarrhea and ranging to more severe effects like seizures, muscle rigidity, and it can even cause death. She continued, I had to cold turkey five different medications and be admitted to the hospital so I could withdraw in a safe environment. By withdraw, she means be taken off the medications without having withdrawal symptoms such as seizures, fever, etc. My family had to sit there and watch me suffer for eight days straight, unable to do anything. Four months later, I had my second neurosurgery. This surgery went much better and has given me some level of relief, but it was an excruciatingly painful recovery. My family has had to sit and watch me scream in pain for seven years, which has undoubtedly caused them a lot of grief and pain. I think for all of us though, knowing how uncertain the future is will always be one of the biggest challenges. That answer really took us across Mackenzie's journey and showed how difficult it is to have a chronic disease, not just because of the disease itself, but also because of how it affects your social life, your mental health, um, even where you live. Because treatment options are really only available, if any, in major cities where the treatment options, and the research has enough funding to get there. The fourth question we asked Mackenzie was, what were some of the difficulties you've had with the healthcare system? She said, the first thing that comes to mind is simply having the healthcare professionals, believe me. I have a relatively invisible illness that wasn't seen on diagnostic imaging for six years, so they really have to take your word sometimes. Not everyone has. Like I said before, I had doctors and nurses telling me it's all in my head. I've had doctors and nurses think I'm drug-seeking. During my psychiatric stay, they really neglected to account for my physical health problems. My pain was not being treated seriously slash properly, and the nurses were quite rude when I mentioned it. My family and I had to basically beg to see a neurologist when I was there. I'd been there for a week and a half before they addressed my physical symptoms. When I met my neurosurgeon for the first time and I asked what the chances of a CSF leak were, because I knew someone that had gotten a CSF leak after their surgery and I wanted more clarification on the risk, the surgeon said, quote, there's a better chance that the building would come down in an earthquake during your surgery. I got a CSF leak and the surgeon transferred my care to a different surgeon. Poor communication in general has been a theme throughout the healthcare experience. Neurologists didn't communicate my treatment plan to my general practitioner. Tests and results weren't sent to the right places. My pharmacist would have to phone the doctors for medical clarification, and we'd have to make countless phone calls to figure out what was going on. It took more than three years to find the right team, and there's still difficulties every now and then. When the healthcare system is not good at communicating with each other, it can make it extremely difficult to get the proper care, especially when you have a more long-term illness and you require the... um, the medical aid of various healthcare professionals. Um, Better communication is something that's definitely needed in the healthcare industry. And it's often been a theme throughout, not just McKenzie's story, but stories across what we've heard in various different um, patients and their experiences. The last question we asked McKenzie was, do you think greater awareness about this disease would have improved your and your family's experience? And if so, how big of an impact do you think awareness would have? She responded, absolutely. More awareness could have helped me get a diagnosis quickly and therefore got me treatment quickly. My More awareness could have prevented some of the negative experiences I've had navigating the healthcare system and also the ne- negative experiences I've had amongst family and friends. It could also help educate others and decrease the stigma around invisible illnesses, which in turn could help with accessibility and accommodation. Perhaps the biggest one for me, awareness could lead to more research funding and a cure. All of these things are life-changing in my opinion. I think the point she made about invisible illnesses is especially important because a lot of times, not just in nerve pain, but like, it's also a problem when women complain of pain and when people with other chronic illnesses complain of pain and you can't see it on a diagnosis clearly or in some kind of scan clearly. Um, Doctors tend to think that it's they're making it up or it's a drug-seeking habit. And although that's a possibility, it can also really harm the patient and it can cause even more health problems than if the healthcare professional had just sat down and tried to understand what was going on. And awareness is super important in all of these cases because the more people know about it, the easier it is to advocate for yourself and for your healthcare professionals to really understand what might be happening and be more open to figuring out the true cause of the problem. Mackenzie's story shows a lot of strength in herself and the people around her. Despite all the difficulties she's faced, she's created an amazing community and allowed herself to live her best life. On her blog, livingwithteal.com, she writes about uh, her experiences with trigeminal neuralgia, and she also posts about uh, the disease on her social medias. She says that writing helps her cope with her situation and that she shares excerpts and poems on social media to provide a sense of belonging for sufferers. And from her blog, she says, creating a network of TN sufferers around the globe has been such a fulfilling and healing experience. It's really amazing to hear this story and we hope to be able to share more stories like Mackenzie's as we continue with our um, goals and grow our our organization. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed uh, learning about Mackenzie, and I hope you learned a little bit more about the world of rare diseases today. If you've been inspired by today's podcast and wanna learn more, check out our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Shaping Foundations or our website, shapingfoundations.website.com. You wanna get involved? You can donate us at our website under the donate page or become a volunteer if you are a student you can apply on our join us page thank you for tuning in just by educating yourself you've helped those with their diseases be more connected and receive the resources they need any contribution is a great one be sure to share this podcast with your friends and also follow us on social media all at JP foundations see you next time